0: Hey everybody, today I'm chatting with R. Scott Edwards, the man behind the comedy club chain, Laughs Unlimited. He's worked with many other great comedians throughout the golden era of comedy, as well as working to make TV and movies. He is a true entrepreneur, as you'll no doubt hear soon. Let's go behind the laugh. our Scott Edwards. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's so exciting to be here, Colton. It's, it's, you know, the dumb enough podcast. I think you've got the perfect guest. Woo-hoo!
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here and, uh, we, we are experts at being dumb. So
1: <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my wife would uh, uh, validate that uh, very much so. But <laughs> uh, it's so exciting to see that you're uh, starting your podcast. And uh, what would you like to talk about today? Well, I
0: was hoping to kind of get into, you know, you're a, a business owner, and you specialize in uh, comedy.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, Colton. I started my first company when I was 17. It was a small construction company. Then I had a portable uh, DJ uh, music company. I actually played disco before the movie Saturday Night Fever. Don't hold it against me. Uh, But my third business, opening in 1980, before you were born, was Laughs Unlimited, and it was the 12th full-time comedy club in the entire United States. It was right before the huge wave of stand-up comedy, which hit about 83, 84, and I was able to ride that wave until 2001 when I sold a chain of clubs. I had built it up to three, and uh, but the club is still going. In fact, they just celebrated their 40th anniversary, so I'm very proud of that. But uh, yeah, a lot of years in stand-up comedy. Got a chance to work with uh, some of the legends of comedy and uh, been very blessed.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, you started out, it sounds like a lot of businesses, you just get bored and you moved on or did you find a business that worked better for yourself? Yeah.
1: Yeah, My wife would say, I get a little anxious while I, while I own the comedy clubs, I opened up two restaurants and two art galleries. And then a little bit later, I actually owned a beach shack in Hawaii and a submarine in Monterey, California. And then after I sold the club in 2001, I had a travel agency for a few years Then I went into the car business and I just sold an insurance agency that I started and built up for the last decade. So, you know, pick your poison. I've I've done it all.
0: Yeah, apparently. I mean, have you enjoyed it thus far?
1: Oh, it's been a wild ride. Uh, When you're an entrepreneur, uh, first off, you can't use that title until you've been sued, which has happened Mm -hmm. to me several times. And you also can't use that title unless you've gone bankrupt, which I've done twice. So I've been fairly wealthy a couple of times. I've been bankrupt a couple of times and um, it's been a wild ride, but a really fun ride. I mean, I've done things that only people dream about and uh, it's all because as an entrepreneur, I put myself out there. I take risks.
0: Yeah, it sounds like quite the highs and lows to have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is all part of the game Uh, when you own a nightclub or a restaurant Somebody somewhere is not going to like something and and throw a lawsuit or two your way. The uh, bankruptcies were from me not being really great with money and sometimes overextending myself. For example, I talked about I uh, uh, helped build and launched a tourist submarine in Monterey, California, ran it for about a year and a half. It failed miserably, lost a bunch of money, and we ended up selling it to the Wrigley-Gum family. And the boat is still running in Catalina. But those kind of experiments where you put a lot of money out and you fail, uh, it's all part of the game. I mean, as uh, Emmett Stone said, uh, failures are the stepping stones to success. So if you're not trying, you're not succeeding. And failure is a part of that path. You learn a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, how many people get to say they own a submarine?
1: Exactly. Uh, Or uh, the beach shack in Hawaii. I didn't quite lose as much money on that. But uh, that was really fun to own. I was in my uh, uh, late 20s, early 30s and single. And I'm working this beach shack with this beach covered in young ladies in bikinis. It was a tough job.
0: That sounds awful. (laughs) How long did you do that for?
1: Uh, that was, uh, it was just an investment. I had a partner. He actually ran it day to day. I would go over to Hawaii three or four times a year and, and give him a break and run it for a few weeks. It was on a small beach in uh, Kona, Hawaii, the big Island. Yeah. And, uh, it was really fun. I mean, it, it was something that I was kind of hoping would be an investment make a little money. It didn't, but, uh, it was just a joy to, uh, be a business owner in Hawaii. I actually had that for about five years, but uh, it was just like a hobby business. I was still running the comedy clubs, the restaurants, the art galleries. But like you said, and what you asked was, do I get anxious? And I do, you know, if something, I, I open up a restaurant, for example, and I train someone to run it and I make sure it's operating correctly. And usually about a year later, I'm like, okay, what's next?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah I feel that and I mean what a place to open like Hawaii a lot of people don't know. I was born in Oregon, but I was raised in Hawaii. I grew oh, up which on, Island. I grew up on Maui.
1: Oh, nice place to grow up. Yeah I uh, know, right? the schools aren't the best and the medical coverage is is a little weak. but for a young person, I bet you couldn't have uh, found a better place to grow up. Did you learn to surf then?
0: A little bit. My balance has uh, wavered come back and forth in the years since, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm pale enough living in the Northwest that most people would never guess that I spent any amount of time in Hawaii.
1: Yeah. I, I, I've not a uh, lived in Hawaii, but I own that business for five years and I have a timeshare. So I've been to Hawaii some 25, 30 times. I, I prefer the big Island, but I've been to all the islands and Maui would be my second choice, but uh, it's an amazing uh, place with amazing views and the people are always wonderful. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> well, you know, it, it builds character, Colton. That's what happens when you move around a lot. What part of Oregon are you in?
0: Uh, I'm in the northwest part of the northwest, so I'm uh, just south of Portland.
1: Oh, wow. Well, uh, Portland and the Oregon area is beautiful in a different way. Uh, yep. It's so funny. Uh, I, I, I know we've kind of gone off track. But uh, I love the ocean. When I was a child, I wanted to be an oceanographer, but the, it's the same ocean, but it's so much different in Hawaii than it is in Oregon. <laughs> it's like I live oh, wow. in California and, and it's fun to go down on the North Coast anyway. It's too cold to really get in without a wetsuit. It's okay down South, but the water's always a little murkier and Hawaii is just warm and crystal blue and clear. Uh, I'm a, a scuba diver and huge snorkeler and I uh, think Hawaii is, well, the reason I go all the time is just uh, beautiful. But uh, so what, uh, uh, now I'm, I am kind of taking over the podcast. I'm so no. sorry. So uh, what got you interested in podcasting and your interest in business? Are, are you an entrepreneur?
0: I, I am not an entrepreneur. Uh, definitely not by the standards. I haven't been sued yet.
1: <laughs> great answer, Colton. <laughs> great answer.
0: I, I am sure I will be inevitably for slightly. <laughs> haven't gone bankrupt yet, but I, you know, I just started listening to podcasts. I had a job that had a lot of downtime. And so I started listening to things and I, I found I really enjoyed them more than a lot of other media. And it, it feels like you can get invested into a show even if, you know, there's not all the the dramatic special effects and the, you know, everything that goes into the rest of media. And, uh, you know, I've just enjoyed it immensely. And I thought, you know, there's a type of show I want to do, and I haven't exactly found it. So I think I'm just going to make it.
1: Well, that's uh, one of the great things. uh, And I think that you're giving your listeners some initial good advice. Uh, Walt Disney once said, stop talking about it and start doing it, that you're going to experience and learn by jumping in and doing it. That's kind of like all the businesses I've tried and and gotten involved in. It's the same concept between business and podcasting. A lot of people, Colton, just talk about doing things, but it takes a certain amount of uh, hoopsha uh, uh, or or less delicately, it takes balls to jump in and start doing it. And I think that uh, you'll find your path and find your voice Uh, What's nice about podcasting is it's an opportunity, it's like personal radio, and you find the listeners, the audience that's interested in the same topic as you. I'll give you a quick story. Uh, I've spent over 40 years on the fringe of show business, Uh, mostly comedy, but I've produced uh, television, concerts, uh, music shows, and I wrote a book. Spent about two years writing a book on, uh, I called it 40 years on the fringe of show business. And uh, I got done and I was all excited and I showed it to my wife and she openly mocked me, Colton. She laughed in my face. She goes, no one's going to read your stupid book. She goes, you ought to do a podcast. I'm like, what's a podcast? (laughs) Now, Of course, I knew what a podcast was. This is about two and a half years ago. But she was making the point that I could get my story out in a more interactive way with a a larger audience. For example, I'm about to hit 30,000 downloads. And if I'd uh, printed my book, I don't think I would have reached that many people. And what's been fun about the podcast is, because of those TV shows and concerts and all the stage shows I produced, I own a lot of material of famous people, Bob Saget, Jay Leno, Dana Carvey, from those days, And I'm able to share it with the public through my podcast. So I'll tell the story and then share some live stand-up comedy by somebody that they may or may not have heard of. But uh, it's always funny and always a a good way to go. So when you and your podcast, Colton, you just need to kind of find the niche that you're interested in and go for it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, um, you're right, it does take some balls to uh, just be willing to put something out there because it's uh, a little terrifying the first couple times you start recording and your hands are really sweaty and you're a little shaky and you're uncertain on the ground you're standing on but you know I've kind of just tried to stop judging it for what it could be and start accepting it for what it is and like, you know, if I'm not as funny as some of the funniest podcasts, that's fine. If I'm not as serious as some of the best interviewers, that's okay, too. You know, I I uh, I named the show about being dumb enough, and I've had to kind of <laughs> get comfortable in being dumb.
1: Well, I think what uh, what's great about it, and make sure you put this in the description of your podcast, that dumb enough means that anybody you talk to has something interesting to share or to teach you. And that is, I think, a wise way to go. In other words, in a podcast interview, if you can share information with your audience and yourself that either entertains you or teaches you something or shares an experience that that might benefit you, that's a great personal connection, not only for yourself, but for your audience. And uh, I I think you'll, you'll do great. And by the way, uh, the audience is very excited for you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah.
0: I'm very, I'm very excited about it. And I think that's one of the coolest things about kind of going so general um, is that, you know, yeah, I might have a a physicist that listens to the show once and I'm just going to get them once. I'm sure but
1: uh, you know. <laughs> don't, don't be so sure. Physicists <laughs> need a, a break in life too. You know,
0: that's right. But uh, uh, funny, you
1: know. let me, uh, I was going to share a story that uh, what's interesting about podcasting and what other people will tell you. And I just want to warn you because I've had this happen. I've been doing it for a little over a year and a half and then uh, it happens all the time. You know, people will say, well, what's your niche? What is you what what pain are you trying to solve? And I'm like, I'm not trying to solve any pain. I'm just trying to have fun and entertain. My my by the way, my podcast. I should get a plug in. Absolutely, stand up comedy. Your host and MC. That's the name of it. You'll find it on all the directories. Stand up comedy. Your host and MC. But there's no pain to be solved. And I'll tell you, there's really nothing even to learn. It is pure entertainment. Hopefully, you'll listen and laugh.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I would tell anybody that is listening, go listen. And I mean, you're talking, doing a podcast and of your book, your book, you get so limited in the number of pages you can put out or, you know, how long it can be to even put it into the public. But now it's the podcast, you know, you get to share, you know, into infinity, basically.
1: Well, I, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned that Colton, that's a really good point about half of my, I switch off every week, half of my podcast, I'm sharing stand comedy from the famous and not so famous sets that I recorded years and years ago. But every other week I do an interview with a professional entertainer. Some of them retired, but all have been professionals, not all famous, but those interviews are not only entertaining, but everybody's got a different story and how they got to the stage and what, where the stage took them and what they've done since they've stopped going on stage. And those stories I've found for my listeners are very entertaining, because they're sharing life experiences that, you know, somebody that works for the DMV, or the county, you know, isn't going to (laughs) have.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's another thing of the, you know, the day we live in, which is, it's so, so much easier to get yourself out there and get known, that I wonder if it's accelerated people getting bigger in comedy, or if it's accelerated kind of uh, how fast people just burn through comedians?
1: Um, I think it's changed a lot. I feel really lucky that I was involved in comedy during the 80s and 90s because it really was a huge wave. It was like the rock and roll of the era. You know, people like Jerry Seinfeld and Yakov and, uh, Smirnoff and uh, Harry Anderson came out of those days and ended up having huge careers. You're not seeing that anymore. Uh, you could be really funny on stage and you're still not going to get asked to be on the Tonight Show or some other show like they were back in that day. It's, I think it's harder for comedians to find what I call the golden ticket and get fame and celebrity than it was 10 or 20 years ago. However... You're making a good point that because of social media, because of the internet, because of YouTube, and quite frankly, because of podcast, uh, somebody that's truly funny does have an opportunity to reach a much, much broader audience than just performing at a comedy club with 30 or 40 people each night, right? So you may not get famous, you may not make millions of dollars, but if you're consistently writing funny stuff and you can perform it through these and somehow get people to watch you through these various interactive venues, you know, like YouTube and, and podcast, you could build a kind of your own audience. What's interesting about the comedy of my era was that the club owners would build the audience and the comics got a chance to take advantage of that. And I think what's different today is now the comics kind of have to build their own audience and it's much more challenging. And yet, as you pointed out, there's so many more venues or vehicles to uh, reach an audience than there were then. So it's, it is an interesting uh, situation.
0: Yeah. It's kind of a a shift in the normal paradigm where they've, uh, you know, like that's well said,
1: Colton, well said, Colton.
0: Every once in a while, I have a a good word (laughs) that I like to plug.
1: Have you ever um, been on stage? I
0: have done some public speaking, but never like on a, on a comedy stage.
1: Um, I highly recommend it. And anybody in your audience that's interested in checking it out, my website's scottscomedystuff.com. Not very fancy, scottscomedystuff.com, but I have an online comedy course. I've got a membership where you can see videos of Paula Poundstone and Bob Saget and Dave Coulier performing live that you can learn from. And there's ways to contact me and I can help people that are interested in getting on stage. But much like starting a podcast, Colton, which I think takes a lot of bravery and and gumption to do, getting on stage is something I recommend everybody try once or twice because it is really scary. But once you do it, you find something new about yourself. And what it is, is when you're on stage, you're sharing with a bunch of strangers and their energy comes back at you. That's not always positive, but there's an interaction that is um, can be important or, or life le- like a life lesson. Is that a good term?
0: Yeah. So, say I want to get on stage. I do want to do it eventually, at least once. But say I want to, you know, how much do I prepare? You know, a set, or do I just try and deliver one good story?
1: Well, everybody's got a local comedy club somewhere within them, as long as they're near a fairly good sized city. I know there's a a couple in Portland and all those clubs have an open mic and you want to be prepared, but you don't need a whole set. You only need two or three minutes and two or three minutes on stage is a long time. But if you, you know, do your material in front of your family and friends or you do it in front of a mirror and you kind of have it down, you know, getting up in an open mic once or twice will teach you a lot about yourself and also uh, kind of break through that uh, barrier of public speaking, which you've already done because you've done some public speaking. So you're halfway through the game right there. As far as the material, uh, just, you know, if you bomb, you bomb, it's okay. That's what open mics are all about. But if you're prepared, you're going to do better than the guy next to you, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And I I assume there has to be a good healthy mix like it's uh, open mic night. The first guy might bomb and maybe that helps the second guy out. And then that second guy doing well makes the third guy a little uh, harder to, to do his or a little easier because they're already laughing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag because uh, you want the audience warmed up. So you want somebody to get some laughs ahead of you. Uh, one of the things that's the most dangerous in stand-up comedy is, and this is sadly a lot of what's happened to comedy today, and I don't want to judge, but there'll be somebody that's just dirty and swearing for no reason. It's not funny, but they're trying to get that shock reaction from the audience, you know, went to the freaking store to get some freaking bread for my freaking girlfriend who's a bitch and, ho, ho, ho. you know, and the audience may react because that one, they're embarrassed and two, it's a shock reaction, but it's not funny. And that person's not going anywhere professionally. And for the next guy up, it's hard because now the audience has kind of been shocked. So you have to be either funny enough to overcome that clean. By the way, that's the key. If you ever want to really do comedy as a professional, you got to be as clean as you can be. Yeah, there's a couple famous people that did it through uh, being a little raunchy, but the vast majority are TV clean. And I could throw out more names, but I've mentioned quite a few that, that they're clean and they're consistent and boom, they ended up being uh, on TV. Trust me, the guy that gets the frickin' bread at the freaking store is not going to end up on the tonight show.
0: Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that story uh, live on air.
1: Right, right, right. Exactly. So there's a little comedy lesson free of charge.
0: Hey, there you go. Free lesson. As long as people tune in. Okay. <laughs> They can go to your website and they can get more lessons out of that.
1: There you go. Scottscomedystuff.com. It's where the funny people go. See,
0: <laughs> There you go. And uh, one more time on your podcast, because I've heard saying things three times makes it more likely for people to visit. So hit them. Well, there over. you go.
1: You've done your research Colton. So yeah, if you want a good laugh and you have a few minutes uh, go to Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC. There's a new show each and every Sunday. But as I mentioned to Colton before the show, I'm about to produce my 100th episode. So there's a whole bank of uh, great comedy with some terrific stars. I've name dropped quite a few. There's many more that aren't famous that are super funny. And um, And then every other Wednesday, I do a little bonus short show where a comic will come on and tell a quick story or do a quick two or three minute bit. So lots of comedy, lots of laughs, and I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to solve any problems. If you're, you know, if you need that kind of guru, uh, I'm not your guy. I'm all about having fun. (laughs) There
0: you go. Are you preparing for that 100? You got to set off some fireworks or?
1: Well, I thought maybe I need some advice from uh, a young man like you, Colton. (laughs) So um, my 99th episode, what I've done is I've interviewed 10 of my regular listeners and asked them what they like don't like if they have a favorite show little three four minute interviews and I was going to put those together for the 100th show and kind of showcase uh, some of the people listening to the podcast what do you think
0: I think that's probably great I mean and it won't be as
1: funny as a regular show but it, it might be interesting to the listeners especially those that get to hear themselves
0: yeah. I mean, just, I know anytime I'm a listener and I've heard a show where they've, you know, broadcast another listener, it just gets you like a, a greater investment in what you're listening to. Cause you're like, oh man, if I keep listening to this and I really like it and I get involved, like I, I
1: might be on it. <laughs> you're right. Exactly. And uh, you as the podcast creator have that opportunity to do that with your listeners. So always make sure that you communicate via a direct message or the internet at social media and uh, interact with your listeners and find out what they like, what they don't like, and invite them to be a part of what you're creating. Because Colton, what you're doing is uh, basically, even though it's called uh, dumb enough, it's Colton's private radio station. And you have an opportunity here to share uh, entertainment information, whatever you enjoy and trust me you'll find an audience out there that enjoys what you enjoy and you'll be able to share that experience and and I think that's exciting
0: yeah absolutely and it's one of those that I hope you know hopefully I get an audience that that likes to listen and they they grow steadily but surely and then eventually I'm getting emails that's like hey he's not very famous but I know this guy that's made shoes for 40 years and I'm like great bring him on to talk about shoes <laughs>
1: Right. No. And like you said early on, you're being really smart and you're, you have a broad topic that you can talk about anything from nuclear science to making shoes. I mean, uh, sadly, I'm stuck with comedy. I know that uh, <laughs> that's pretty limiting, but uh, uh, it is important to uh, share what all these different aspects of life. That's what uh, podcasting is all about. And Colton, you're starting off on the right foot.
0: Thank you. And I wouldn't say you're stuck with pot with uh, comedy. I love comedy. I mean, for sure, my favorite genre. If uh, there was a a way to just watch standups nonstop, I love watching standups. I go to venues and I watch them there. It's uh, it's something I've always enjoyed. And I thought for a while, like maybe I'll try and do that, and then I realized I'm not quite that funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, everybody should try it, and you're probably funnier than you think, and definitely funnier than the guy next door, but uh, you, you've met the right guy. If you go to my podcast or my website and you enjoy stand-up comedy, you'll find a wealth of entertainment.
0: Well, see, there you go. Maybe I'll go I'll go on there, I'll get some lessons, and then I'll do a, a bonus episode where it's just you know somebody in the crowd with a camera on me.
1: <laughs> well, you know what I'll do? Uh, I, I've written two books on being a stand-up comic. I'll send you a free copy.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no, well, it's uh, uh, not a funny read, although it can be funny, but it'll teach you uh, a lot about the uh, ups and downs of being a stand-up comic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I look forward to that, actually, quite a lot.
1: Oh, my pleasure, and, and uh, well-deserved for a, uh, an exciting young man going into podcasting. It'll, it'll help you out.
0: So, speaking back to comedy, you were there for kind of, you know, the start of the golden era. Uh, I guess through the golden era of stand-ups coming up what would you say are kind of you know other than trying to stay clean what makes an act great
1: well I've had a chance to work with so many different types of comics Robin Williams graced my stage twice he was very hyperkinetic high energy really interacted with the audience and they they joined in that energy and that that i mean he would end a set and he'd just be sweating profusely it was really gave his all to his audience. And then there was Larry Miller, who if you guys Google him, uh, Larry Miller's been in over a hundred movies. Uh, he was in Pretty Woman as the suck up guy. But on stage, he would tell stories that would just have you riveted and laughing, but they could last 15 minutes. I mean, he was it was a whole different, instead of, you know, Stephen Wright, you know, joke, joke, joke. Uh, Larry Miller would tell stories and just have you riveted and laughing. Uh, you have Dana Carvey, who could do impressions and music, and was very funny. There, there's been so many. Bob Saget, by the way, who was uh, known as America's Dad on Full House and then Fuller House, is a terrific stand-up comic and musician. A lot of people don't know that, but absolutely filthy on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you can go uh, a couple different ways. Uh, Dave Coulier. Who does a lot of cartoon voices was uh, very entertaining, and uh, and then you have everybody in between. The answer to the question, Colton, which is really good, is there's no one answer. You have to. F- every comic has to find their voice, much like a podcaster. You have to find how you're going to interact with the audience. Somebody like Stephen Wright is very slow paced joke, joke, joke. Somebody or Robin Williams is going to throw 50 things at you knowing that 25 are going to make you laugh. And they happen so fast. The time in between just flies by and it's all one big, you know, giant laugh. It uh, really, I I will say that, for example, with Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno, those are two great monologists that uh, started off at my club and they when their secret to success is relating to the audience. Both of them talk about flying, driving, buying clothes, food, eating, girlfriends, marriage, things that everybody in the audience can relate to. And that is a whole nother way to go. So, you know, you had Bobcat Goldthwait that would just yell at everybody. You're stupid and here's why, you know, but uh, so different professional comics find different paths to connect with the audience. But that's really the bottom line. You have to connect one way or the other with the audience and talk about things that they are experiencing. Uh, And whether you're screaming at them or going fast paced or going slow paced or just doing it as joke, joke, callback, you are connecting. And that energy is what The shared experience. I will tell you that being a stand up comic, I think, is one of the hardest art forms out there, but it's also one of the most rewarding. And that's why people do it. You get that feedback uh, from the audience instantly. And sometimes it's love, sometimes it's hate, but there's always going to be reaction. The very first comic ever to hit my stage, my very first opening act in August of 1980, was Gary Shanling who went on to do movies and stage comedy, his own TV series. And he was one of those guys that was a little neurotic, but he would share that problem with the audience. And they would like, oh, yeah, I I kind of agree with that, you know. And it was magical.
0: Yeah. And uh, it seems like, not to to jump back a whole ways, but uh, it seems like everyone somewhere has their Robin Williams story where they've interacted with him in some way. Somebody else I was talking to had gone to an improv that Robin Williams had showed up to, and they said it was him and their buddy on stage. And Robin Williams just started going off on his his tangent. And they said, you know, he went off for like 10 minutes. And about that time, he realized the audience was only looking at him. And he turned and he looked at the other guy on the stage. And the other guy on the stage just went, and then what happened?
1: (laughs) Well, it's, uh, Robin was a power and an energy, and it's very sad that he's left us. But uh, when he dropped in, he dropped into my club once, and Bob Saget was the headliner. And Bob Saget was a big star. And when Robin Wayne shows up, guess what? He's a bigger star. So actually, I had to pull Bob Saget off stage to let Robin go up. And it kind of bothered Saget. It, he didn't like that because he was doing really well with the audience, but I'm a producer. I'm all about giving the best opportunity, the best show to my audience. And Bob had already done a half hour, but I wasn't going to say no to putting Robin up. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I kind of got Bob off and put Robin up and it didn't make uh, Mr. Saget happy, but trust me, the audience was blown away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely, you know, a, uh, a character that is, I think, I mean, missed for a very long time, but he went to uh, the same rehab my grandfather did right out near where I live. And he does a standup about it later where he said, yeah, I even went to rehab in wine country just to keep my options open.
1: <laughs> Great that you remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He, he was definitely a special man. And we're, we're all very sad that he's not with us, but he's left us a legacy of movies and stand up that will be around for uh, forever. I hope. Uh, one other quick story. I don't know how long you wanted to go, Colton, However but this is this is something that your audience would not know, and this is long before your birth, so it should be interesting. All right. So in in 1980, there was a young actor who had just gotten his first sitcom, his very first show, and it was called Bosom Buddies. Okay. And he, in that show, he had to do some stand-up comedy and character. So that gentleman, Tom Hanks, came to my club and worked for a week for free while he learned how to do stand-up comedy and prepared the set that he ended up doing on the sitcom, and Buddies, three weeks later. What an honor. Now, he wasn't Tom Hanks at the time. I mean, he had a TV show. And he was known for Bosom Buddies. But, you know, we know Tom Hanks now is like a megastar. Right. Back then, he was just a a first-time sitcom actor. And I taught him how to be a comic from the mechanical side, you know, how to deal with the mic and the lights and the audience. And Bob Saget was at the club and Bob was helping him write his set. And uh, Tom Hanks worked for me for a week in 1980. And then the set he practice on my stage was performed on the TV show, Bosom Buddies a few weeks later. And that's my claim of fame and brush with stardom with Tom Hanks.
0: I mean, that's definitely a big one because I think Tom Hanks is one of those names recognized around the world.
1: Exactly. And, and like Robin Williams won't be fading away anytime soon.
0: Definitely not.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've had some, you know, amazing experiences and, and, uh, and not all from comedy. I mean, you know, owning my, own construction company at the age of 17 taught me so, so much. And, you know, having a travel travel agency for a couple of years taught me so much and opening restaurants. I, I, I mean, uh, how to balance expenses versus income and staffing. At one point I had 105 employees. So you have to, you know, all the HR stuff and payroll and taxes. So there's so much you have to know and learn uh, that wasn't as fun as comedy, but all part of owning a business. And what's kind of nice now is I'm semi-retired. I'm still working, but uh, I get a chance to focus a lot of time on my comedy site and my podcast. and And it's a real joy, and it allows me an opportunity to meet young podcast creators like you.
0: Thank you. It sounds incredible. And you kind of you developed your own jack of all trades before you know, there was a, uh, a way to learn from others online, you know, you're like, Oh, I'll just do it. I'll do it, yeah. and I'll learn it. And that's how we're gonna.
1: Yeah. Boy, you hit the nail on the head there, Colton. Uh, I did everything on this by the seat of my pants. I never had any money, never had, you know, my family was not, was rather poor. Uh, I did everything on my own, uh, lived in my car for a while, uh, slept on people's couches for a while to get by. I mean, it was not, you know, a silver spoon beginning. It was uh, uh, working hard and, and uh, learning from those mistakes and building and building and building to the point where I can say fairly proudly, I've had a number of successes and get now at my, uh, as I'm a little bit of an elder gentleman, uh, get a chance to share some of the highlights uh, with with a whole new audience. so it's really been a, a blast. Yes. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your show.
0: Oh, absolutely. I am so glad you could make it on. I mean you're definitely you've got a lot more draw than I do. Um, a lot more star <laughs> star power behind your your near the stars experiences.
1: Well, I, I've had a lot of experiences, uh, as they say, near the sun, but I have not got my own glow going much. I'm the guy behind the scenes. The, and I'm proud of that. I, you know, it's so funny, uh, Colton, this was brought up by a couple entertainers the other day. Because I emceed my shows six nights a week, 52 weeks a year for 21 years, I've had more stage time than anybody. Yeah. But I'm not a comic I don't tell anybody I'm funny. I know two jokes, one clean, one dirty, and I am good on stage, but I'm just good with interacting with the audience, talking to the audience and, and I'm a terrific professional MC, but I don't put myself in the same ranks, even though I've had more stage time than the professional comics that sweat and work hard to write and perform and practice comedy to the point where they can entertain a group of strangers. Cause it's a lot of work
0: definitely but i mean being that mc you know like i said all those times for you know all those people your voice is also burned somewhere into their brain and associated with (laughs) at least one comedy
1: well it's funny because now that i'm doing the podcast i'll reach out to them and i'll say hey it's scott from laughs and they all know me uh and it's that's kind of a nice thing and it's funny you mentioned my voice. Now, you and I have not uh, interacted before. So this is the first time you've heard my voice. But uh, being on TV, radio, and literally thousands of concerts and stage shows, uh, I'm in Sacramento, Northern California. And I will tell you, I am recognized more from my voice than uh, this this pretty mug. Uh, <laughs> the other part was, that's kind of funny, just to put down myself, uh, for a lot of time in the '90s, I had that one. Uh, I had a big uh, Magnum Pi mustache, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then finally, my wife said, "You know, your mustache is grayer than your hair. You might want to lose it." <laughs> so uh, uh, now my gray's my gray's caught up on top. But uh, it 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 is funny that my voice. Oh, quick story. I don't I don't want to take up too much of your time. Go for it. But I had uh, me and uh, a couple young ladies had gone to the Caribbean and we had uh, booked a, uh, one of those trips out to go snorkeling, you know, a snorkel sale. And so we left the hotel and we had to go over to the other side of, uh, I think it was St. Croix. And so we drove around St. Croix and we, we park and we get out and we waiting for the boat to come pick us up. And there's this long kind of wharf and we're walking out, we're just talking and laughing and, you know, we're on vacation. We're having fun. I'm this swear to God, this is true. All of a sudden, this couple walk up and they go, are you the guy from Sacramento? Laughs unlimited. I go, uh, yeah. They go, we knew it was your voice. You know, <laughs> They just heard me talking to the girls and St. Croix, Caribbean, right? I mean, it has to be true because it's too bizarre not to be. Uh, but I got recognized from my voice while being, you know, three thousand miles away from my hometown, it was hilarious. And that and this just is before right, the internet, right? I mean, this like, is how, yeah. how do you
0: know me? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, they 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 mentioned the club pretty quickly, right. and and turned out they were on vacation from the Sacramento area and had been to the club several times. And uh, they didn't, they weren't sure if it was me, but they said the voice put them over. And I just thought, oh, that what a great uh, story to share
0: yeah it always feels like there's those moments where you're like this world is a lot smaller than it feels sometimes
1: oh uh i I got one more quick uh you want to hear how the world's small uh i don't want to bore you but um one of my regular comics and he's on my podcast and i have interviewed him his name's carlos alizrocki And if you don't recognize the name, you would recognize him. He was on the TV show Reno 911. He was in the movies Reno 911. But before all that, he was a terrific stand-up comic, and he does a lot of voiceover work. He's been on several cartoons. He was uh, Rocco's Modern Life. He was Rocco. He was the very first voice of the uh, Taco Bell Chihuahua. Um, but, But now he's still... The voice of the main character, or two characters actually, on a, a cartoon show that's running right now called Casa Grande. And I don't know if you watch Cartoon Network cartoon shows, but Casa Grande's a big hit and he's one of the voices. Well, here's the weird connection my godson, right? My godson became a professional animator, lives in Canada, and animates cartoons for a living and he's right now animating for Casa Grande
0: wow
1: so my godson is animating the show that this guy I knew from the 80s is one of the voices on Carlos Alazraki. how's that for small world
0: that is definitely a small world loop
1: yeah just incredible and uh, uh, my uh, godson his names Kyle Stobener uh, was so excited uh, that I that he didn't know that I knew Carlos he knew you know I was able to connect the two of them and Carlos sent him an autographed picture and, and he's proudly got it up at the, uh, where they produce the animation for Casa Grande. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to share that small world ex- story. That is awesome. y- You're the only podcast that's heard that one, Colton.
0: Hey, that's an exclusive. You got to come here to hear that. <laughs> no, that's great. I had one that was, you know, in no way I've, have I ever been attached to uh, uh, fame, but one of my mother's best friends, you know, she was at my wedding. She was, she's like my other mom. She lives down in Arizona and that's, you know, we know them and they're in Arizona. And then I joined, I got a new job and uh, the guy I was working alongside of one day just says, Hey, is your mom Tracy? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, so you're that Colton. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Am I that? Colton? Ooh, that Colton. Yeah,
0: that Colton.
1: That's not a little mysterious,
0: right? And he's like, "Oh, no, Connie's my sister," and I'm like, "Oh, whoa."
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a pretty good connection. Uh, and you ran into him at work. I mean, what are the odds? Exactly. Is that crazy that that stuff happens? Yeah, I mean, they always say we're we're six places away from anybody else on the planet. It's it's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, it really is. Anyway, sorry, I go off on, uh, on, tangents. no, no,
1: we've, we've gone on several tangents, but you know what, when you're on the dumb enough podcast, you can do that. You can talk about anything.
0: Absolutely. I was going to draw back to, you know, owning and running comedy clubs. It's got to be so much different than the rest of the kind of brick and mortar work that, you know, you've also owned.
1: Well, what's interesting about owning a comedy club, and for those in the audience, I'm sure you're aware, when you have a comedy club, you're also a bar because you have to serve drinks, and you're a restaurant because in order to serve drinks, you have to serve food. So a comedy club is really a restaurant, a bar, and then an entertainment venue, and you really have to run it three different ways. In other words, my job as the uh, entrepreneur is to make sure that the food part, Runs profitably. I buy so much, spend so much money on food, and I make so much money on the food. And then I have to manage the bar where between the staffing and the cost of the alcohol, what am I selling it for so I can make a profit there? But the key to my business was the entertainment. That was where I didn't really want to be a restaurateur or a bartender, but it was necessary to have the comedy club. So My focus was I'm going to have to bring in enough money at the door to afford bringing up professional entertainers from all over the country. I kept a condo where the comics would stay, where they would visit. I had a car so they could drive around. And then I'm the host of the show. So I'm making sure we collect the right amount of money. A lot of times it was me at the door. And then it was up to me to start the show and then, get the audience focused and entertained a little bit and then introduce the acts, close the show. And then you got the cleanup. That's totally separate from the bar and the food. Cause they have to do the same thing. They have to serve the people and then clean up bus and clean up. And then the bar, they have to serve all the drinks and then re-clean the glasses right away. So that the next show, right. So it really, um, if you, if I stopped and thought about it, it would feel like a lot of work. But I was enjoying so much of it and had a great team of people. I had uh, uh, what I called the laughs family around me. I I was pretty lucky. People came to work for me and stayed for years. I didn't have a lot of turnover because we treated them right. We paid them right. And it was a lot of fun to be in a comedy club. You know, I put my trust into my employees and and that paid off.
0: Yeah. And that's, is that one of those where you just kind of try to, you know, because you have to have the bar and the food do you try and just kind of like get the bare minimum going with the food or do you try and like upsell it a little oh
1: no it was absolute crap colton (laughs) (laughs) we're talking you know your basic bar food crap i mean you know chips and nachos and and you know anything we didn't have a real kitchen so it was stuff we could microwave and and get out of boxes it was uh it was just a, a lot of desserts. It was just to keep the people to so they wouldn't get too drunk on the alcohol. And then the alcohol, uh, we weren't, we didn't do fancy drinks. If somebody came in and said, oh, I'd like a cherry Manhattan, please. We'd go, well, go next door because we have bourbon and Coke and vodka tonic and, you know, uh, and beer, right? Beer, wine, and, and fast drinks. Because when you're, uh, my room sat 200 people. So we would literally seat 200 people in about 15, 20 minutes. We'd have to get them their first round of drinks before the show started. Then we usually would get a second or third round in during the show. And then we had to clear everything, clean everything and be reset for the second show. On the weekends, we always had two shows sometimes during the week. So it, uh, it really, you have to have a system to make sure that these things get done in a timely manner. And what's interesting about what you asked Colton is when it comes to food and drink if you're in a comedy club it ain't fancy.
0: Right. It is
1: meant to be quick and dirty and you just get it in, get them out, have some laughs because they're really there for the comedy. I mean, nobody goes to laughs unlimited because ooh, they got a great entree. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: You've got to try the signature cocktail. Yeah.
1: And we were pretty cheap on the alcohol. I mean, we didn't pour heavy, you know, like you go to a neighborhood bar and the guy pours a shot and then just keeps pouring. Right. Yeah. And you end up getting a shot and have two shots in a drink. We were right at the minimum because we didn't want anyone to get drunk and upset the show. I mean, that still happened in my 21 year history. Of course, people got drunk and several over the years tried to upset the show, but generally the bulk majority of the audience that were there to have fun, maybe have a quick bite to eat have a couple of drinks. And they knew that you know, as soon as the show was over, we were kicking their butts out. No hanging out.
0: Right. And I had, two, I had two things I had just thought of. One, I had gone to a place that was much like that, where they were like, yeah, we have alcohol because we need to have the alcohol. And I was with my in-laws and my mother-in-law had said, can I have wine? And they said, yeah, we have red and white. And she said, well, <laughs> what are they? And she, they said, we have red and white.
1: Right, right. Yeah, what well, how big's the box it comes in? <laughs> right, exactly. And that What was the other question?
0: Oh, um I was just thinking it's slipped me now, but um
1: Well, that's okay. I mean, you've asked some good questions. Hopefully, I've shared some good stories and uh when your listeners get a chance to uh hear your podcast, uh they'll be entertained and educated.
0: That's right. Oh, in I a fun way. It was. it was uh I one of the times I had gone to a comedy club up in Portland I was seeing Anthony Jeselnik who is you know far on the newer side of comedy but it, there was a guy there that had definitely gotten a little too drunk and the ability of a comedian to harass an audience member down to like their lowest level is a skill I've not seen anywhere
1: else yeah no it's it's true that when you're a professional comic you have to be ready for any situation. It doesn't matter how funny you are. If the audience isn't listening or you have somebody distracting the audience or yourself from your set, you have to find a way to deal with that. Now, hopefully, uh, in a good comedy club, the staff is also being aware and helping deal with it. You know, we kicked out hundreds of people over the years, you know, for being drunk or, or disruptive. But, uh, no, comics have to to learn to deal with that. And what's interesting about, and another reason why being a stand-up comic is one of the toughest careers I can think of, is that you never know what audience you're going to get. Are you going to get, you know, the drunk college grads that want you to do, you know, dick jokes and, and stuff like that? Or are you going to get the more sophisticated or, you know, regular show where people want to hear, you know, about, Flying and shopping and you know the normal stuff. So it it really is a a potpourri of options.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I know I've kept you here for almost an
1: hour now. Oh my gosh, it's been so fun. I had no idea.
0: (laughs) Um, But before you go, you have such a good history of experience that I really wanted to ask for the listeners: if someone was looking to start a business or they you know they wanted to kind of pursue that entrepreneurial dream what would you tell them to do
1: go for it Uh, much like uh, podcasting or anything in life. uh, Stop thinking about it, start doing it. That's the only way to learn and get it done. But um, there's lots of books and there's how to's Uh, you're welcome to contact me through the website, uh, scottscomedystuff.com for advice. Um, One of the things that people think is that you have to have a lot of money to start a business. And in some cases that's true. But uh, most of my businesses were started uh, by the seat of my pants and and with no money or I, you know, borrowed a couple bucks. Right. Real quick side story. My very first comedy club, I didn't have any money and I could not afford a brick and mortar building. So I made a deal with a restaurant that I could use their banquet room at night when they weren't using it for free. But they got the food and drink sales. Right. And I got the door. But every day I had to break down their banquet room, set up my comedy club. And at the end of the night, I had to break down my comedy club so they could set up for the next day's banquet, right? Okay. So it was a shitload of work, but guess what? I wasn't paying any lease. And that's how I got started. Now, that's just one example of how you could start a business without necessarily having a huge investment. Um, but you know, do your research, it's location, location, location. And uh, like I said in the beginning, stop talking about it, start doing it, because that's how you learn.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure
1: having you on. Oh, Colton, it's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's so I can't can't wait to tell my family I was on Dumb Enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, have a great rest of your day. And uh, I look forward to putting this out so everybody can hear it. All right. Hey, I really wanted to let everyone listening know that I appreciate your support immensely. It has not gone unnoticed. Every like, every share, every time someone has told me that they enjoy what I'm doing, it's really meant a lot to me, and I really just want to say thank you all. If you haven't already, even if you have, just tell someone that you liked the show, and you think they should listen to an episode because it's something that they'd enjoy. Uh, Go give us a follow on Spotify or iTunes or wherever it is you're listening from. And just know I, I really appreciate everything so much. Thank you. If you want to get in contact with me for any number of reasons, you want to recommend a question or a guest or just have feedback, get a hold of me. Dumb Enough Podcast. At Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, wherever on the social web. You can also just email me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye.